Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Fandoms Culture and Perhaps a Few Murders, where we discuss exactly that, fandoms culture and perhaps a few murders. I am your host, Spade, and with me, as always, is Al. Hey, y'all. And Feline. Hello. The topic of discussion is mysterious disappearances and events surrounding well-known writers. Agatha Christie, who is best known for writing 66 detective novels and 14 collections of short stories. At the age of 22, she met Archie Christie, an aviator, and they got married on Christmas Eve. Despite her success, she kept tight on finances and lived a careful, modest lifestyle, which led to a strain on her marriage, so much so that Archie entered into an affair with his secretary. After a fight, he left to spend the weekend with friends, including his mistress, to which Agatha is said to have left her daughter with their maid and left the house the same evening. She would not be seen for the next 11 days. And there's lots of theories posited on how or why she disappeared, what happened during those 11 days. The next morning, Agatha's abandoned car was found several miles away by police submerged in bushes in Surrey, the apparent result of a car accident. The fact that the driver was missing, but the headlights were on and a suitcase and coat remained in the back seat only fueled this mystery. This relatively unknown writer at the time suddenly became front page news and a handsome reward was offered for any new evidence or sightings. In the aftermath of her disappearance, both her husband and his mistress were under suspicion and a huge manhunt was undertaken by thousands of policemen eager volunteers. Even the the local lake silent pool was dredged in case life had imitated art and she had met the same fate as one of her unfortunate characters. Joining the search were some famous faces like the home secretary William Joynson Hicks putting pressure on police to find the writer and fellow mystery writer Sir Arthur Conan Doyle had seeked the help of a clairvoyant to find her using one of her gloves as a guide. Ten days later, the head waiter at the Hydropathic Hotel in Yorkshire, now known as the Old Swan Hotel, had contacted police with the startling news that a lively and outgoing South African guest by the name of Teresa Neal may actually be the missing writer in disguise. So in a dramatic unmasking, which would have been at home in many of her stories. Or in Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Archie traveled with the police to Yorkshire, took a seat in the corner of the hotel's dining room and watched his estranged wife walk in, take her place at another table and begin reading the newspaper that had her own disappearance as front page news. When she was approached by her husband, witnesses noticed a general air of puzzlement and little recognition from the man to whom she was married for nearly 12 years. The disappearance has been hotly contested over the years. Suggestions range that she had a nervous breakdown brought on by the death of her mother and the embarrassment of her husband's affair to a cynical publicity stunt to promote the successful but still little-known author at that time. It is declared that she was probably suffering from amnesia and a possible concussion, which was later corroborated by two doctors. Certainly her apparent failure to recognize him would seem to endorse that theory, or that she actually planned to thwart her husband's plans to spend the weekend with his mistress. But in 2006, an autobiographer, Andrew Norman, believes that she was what he called a fugue state, a period of an out-of-body amnesia that was induced by stress. Now, in effect, she was in kind of a trance. This rare, deluded condition brought on by trauma or depression fits the symptoms that she happened to show during her stay at the hotel in which she was found. The adoption of a new personality of the name of Teresa Neal and failure to recognize newspaper photos of herself were signs of this. Now, her state of mind was very low, as she wrote about later in a character that she named Celia. Now, I probably would believe that she would have been under a lot of stress because her mother did die of, I believe it was bronchitis, shortly before she discovered her husband's adultery. So she could have emotionally spiraled and needed to get away from it all. 
that type of stress may have led to the crash that she did have. And if she did bump her head really well, you can assume that she did suffer some short-term amnesia. So I would believe that would probably be the most plausible explanation as opposed to any of the other theories, which just seemed a little far-fetched. What do you guys think? All right. So I just want to say that this is a highly intelligent female who's already renowned as a writer at the time of her disappearance, right? Like she's already well-known selling books. She wasn't well-known to the level as she is now. She's She has money, but she's penny-pinching because she wants to keep her shit. Yes. But like the initial problem, like that was part of the issue for the husband to fucking cheat was because he wanted to spend more money and she wasn't about it. And so it was a, it was a tight purse household, even though she had the cash money. With that in mind, again, she's an intelligent woman that is writing books and, and intrigue and mysteries and whodunits. This woman knows what the fuck she's doing. I think she had like a John Hughes driving in the rain, super pissed off. My husband's a piece of shit. My mom just died. I can't stand this shit because everybody has feelings. They're going to feel them feelings. And she was feeling depressed. She's driving in the rain. She's pissed off. She said, fuck this motherfucker. And like crashed her shit. And she was just like, I need some me time. I'm going to leave all my shit behind and I'm going to go. And I believe that she took those 11 days for herself. Someone who can write what she writes and be an excellent novelist as she is can certainly sit there and pretend to not notice her husband so she could try to enjoy some more time to herself. You know what I'm saying? She also just doesn't want to see this motherfucker. So when he shows up at the fucking place to come and see her as whatever pseudonym she just put herself, of course she's going to be like, maybe if I continue to not know this motherfucker, I can enjoy the rest of my time here at least one more day. She knew what she was doing, honestly. And she needed her some her time, so she was gone. And I think she was reading that shit like, ah, oh, this is great. This feels so stress-free right now. Of course, I'm going to go back, but let's just keep going. Just living this day out for at least, she probably wanted to go for a full fortnight. And it was just at the tail end of her little mini vacation before just mysteriously coming back. But she needed her me time. And I honestly think that's what that was. Because it was at a spa. It's not like she just showed up randomly at some fucking other place. It was a spa that they found her at. Because if, you, if you're in a fugue state and you land somewhere, and you don't know who you are, you go to the police. <laughs> you just, you don't come up with a whole fucking brand new name and start living the spa life she might have had a mental breakdown that was her recovery time because then she came back and did her fucking thing got her divorce got her money dipped fell in love again got married was good to go she said gaslight gatekeep girl boss lots <laughs> of shit but yeah, I was going to say I agreed that a crash seems likely the way it was set up, unless it was, you know, part of a plan to look that way. So if she did have a car accident, could she have hit her head, sort of had lapse in time, maybe? He mentioned the doctors had said that she did have a type of concussion. So that's definitely a thing, but I don't think if I had amnesia, I'd decide to come up with a whole new name. You know what I mean? You kind of just be like, yeah, I don't really know. I don't really remember. You don't be like, I am Teresa. Right. And then go out and have fun. Right. But then you go to a spa. So it does seem like maybe she saw possibly an opportunity. I'm not mad at her for it. <laughs> like if you definitely need time to recover, that shit's rough. It's not easy to go through something like that, especially with the loss of a parent. Right. But it does sound funny to me that like you hit your head and all of a sudden you pick a brand new name. It's especially when you're someone who writes characters. You picked like a whole new identity. She was just trying to feel herself. And she did have the wherewithal to leave her daughter with her maid before she took off. Yeah. So she made sure her kid was taken care of. It would have been cool. I mean, granted, I'm not trying to, you know, promote anything bad. But you would think a mystery writer, she's scorned by her lover. She 
disappears, she could do some gone girl shit, you know? Yo, I was just thinking that, like, she could she could set him up. It's like when people warn about women watching, like, CSI shows and shit like that. Like, yo, she could clearly know how to get rid of a body. You don't want to do this. Like, you know, that's, that's somebody you want to fuck with. She fucks with mysteries that cops can't solve. Tiny bit of her blood <laughs> disappear. She could ruin his life. Both of their lives. Remember, they were both under suspicious. I was going to say, she could put, like, a hair in there. Yo, and it's done for you, son. And they were immediately the first fucking uh, suspects about her being gone. So, yeah, no. Yeah, no. She could have set them way the hell up. But she was just like, I just want my me time. <laughs> she could put strands of her hair all up in his bags before he took off for the weekend. Mm -hmm. She could fuck them up. Right. Like, yo, this is set up. Set ups. It is worth noting that Arthur Conan Doyle, who was a creator of Sherlock Holmes, and Agatha Christie having been the creator of another fictional detective in Hercule Poirot, and you've seen him most recently in the Murder on the Orient Express film and the Death on the Nile, being played by Kenneth Branagh quite well. I was gonna say, like, you mentioning Sir Arthur Conan Doyle felt like a weird moment, because, like, granted, I'm not looking at timelines or anything, but it seemed weird to hear in this sentence that they were alive at the same time. I I don't know i feel like in my head i thought she came later it's almost like a great crossover almost. yeah the biggest collab all right i'm going to discuss the mysterious death of edgar Allan poe who was believed to be the sort of grandfather of the modern murder mystery or detective novel here are the facts about his death poe died on october 7th 1949 after being hospitalized several days seeming delirious and barely conscious the period leading up to his death is mostly a mystery as his last known whereabouts was on a ferry tour for a literary magazine where his last stop had him arrive in baltimore on september 28th after arriving in Baltimore, he seemed to disappear until he was found hallucinating in a tavern on October 3rd, in clothes that did not seem to be his, seeming cheap and tattered. The official cause of death was vague, calling it congestion of the brain. There are many theories on Poe's odd death. The one that's most widely believed is that he drank himself to death. But even that is debated as one of the attending physicians, John Morin, dismissed alcohol as a cause of death because he didn't believe Poe had been drinking in the days leading up to his hospitalization. And Poe had been reportedly sober for several months leading up to that point. And even it's claimed that on his deathbed, he had refused a drink. With no autopsy being done and no clear answers, I present a few other potential causes of death. One theory suggested by doctors at the University of Maryland is rabies, possibly contracted from one of his pets. His state of delirium is a sign of the virus, and specifically in his last couple days, his delirium seemed to be improving before worsening right before dying. It is noted that this is a symptom that's shown in late-stage rabies in cases where they also seem to have a fear of water, and supposedly he had a hard time drinking water while he was on his last days, though it can't necessarily be proven since there is no, no autopsy that can be done at this point. Another popular theory when discussing Poe's death is a scheme called cooping, where thugs hired by corrupt politicians would snatch people off the street and forcibly made them vote for their desired candidate repeatedly. Violence and alcohol were often used to make their victims more compliant, which would explain Poe's rough state and possibly his poor state of dress, as they also would dress their victims in disguises to help them get away with repeatedly voting. Poe was also discovered on election day, and the tavern he was outside of was also a place allowed 
allowing for people to place votes. The third theory is that 26 years after Poe's death, after having been initially buried in an unmarked grave, two decades later, the city decided to honor Poe with a proper funeral. When workers dug up his grave to relocate his body, the workers noted a mass rolling around Poe's skull, a mass that could not be his brain, which would have long since decomposed. Experts do believe that the mass could have been a tumor that calcified, something that happens over a process of time. This could explain Poe's erratic behavior and his seemingly hallucinating and just talking nonsense. But an interesting epilogue to Poe's mysterious death and macabre life was that after he died, he had a mysterious visitor that would come for over half a century to place three roses and a half-empty bottle of cognac at Poe's grave every January 19th, which was Poe's birthday. Last time the roses and the cognac was seen at the grave was in 2010. This person, referred to as the Poe Toaster, hasn't been seen since, and their identity was never revealed. What I find interesting about the three theories I picked is that they all seem pretty plausible when you're looking at things, like all the details. Like I know the cooping theory is probably one of the most popular ones or more favored ones when it comes to trying to solve the mystery because there's so much coincidence of like being on election day, being outside a tavern, being supposedly what could have been a disguise, but it's just so hard to know. I feel like the act of cooping, which it's funny, as you said that I was thinking cupping, mm. but um, I almost find it a bit far-fetched that it would have been, or he would have been manipulated for political gain simply because if you had a candidate who was running for a particular office, let's say it was in Baltimore at the time, you would usually like to tout the name of someone who's known that says, hey, he supports or endorses me, but yet you wouldn't have taken advantage. And granted, Pope at the time his name wasn't like celebrity huge like today's endorsements of candidates but one of baltimore's most known sons for as high of a, a rank as he could achieve at that point because i think he only had like sporadic works that were published at the time yeah he was like half poor wasn't he, he i feel like he was never really well paid and yeah. he seemed like he though he was like notable as a writer he's also seemed vaguely destitute like he was i don't know he definitely didn't know how to handle money because apparently he liked to drink a lot so that's possibly where all of his money went. Besides the fact that he was in a pretty seemingly stable relationship at the time, which she was his muse, I believe. Um, I don't know if that was her. One of the... Virginia Eliza Clempo was his wife. Yes. I was going to say, like, I don't know. I can't remember the name that they mentioned, but it was the sister to... I want to say her last name might have started with an S because another theory is touted in a, another writer's theory of what happened is that he might have been beaten to death by the woman he was talking to his brothers mm -hmm. and their names are like in my head but i can't remember i did hear about that as a potential thing but i don't know if the original thought of lenore died because i know he did lose a wife or someone he wanted to be his wife he lost one lover and i don't know if it was his his last known wife that was kind of a long off and on courtship where they were married and then divorced and then married again or something like that but generally it's believed that some of the writings where there was a woman at the center of it may have been inspired by those relationships. He was certainly a romantic. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, I'm very well aware of the Poe toaster. I almost though remember a story I saw, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, maybe that said that the original Poe toaster was believed to have been, to have died and then had been identified. 
and then even had a understudy who continued it on until a certain period of time. I vaguely remember that being a thing. It was like a small little strip in a newspaper I read. Yeah, I think one of the things I saw regarding the Pope Toaster did say like it might have been passed on to another person because maybe few glimpses that people did catch of them did seem like maybe it had changed the silhouette to believe it was another person. Mm -hmm. And it's a parallel to what Jim Morrison enjoys. There's a person who used to come there and would draw flowers and and I think alcohol at his grave in France every year. And I believe that it has since been carried on by like multiple different people. It's also really interesting that it seems like the consistent thing about his state seemed being that he seemed like he was drunk, but his attending physician said like, no, he, as far as he could tell and believed, he did not have a drop of alcohol on him. So for a lot of these theories to work, you need to explain that factor of it. And something like a brain tumor could do it if he got beat. Because another theory just said, like, along the lines of the cooping thing, he just got beaten and robbed. Were there any notes of bruises to the body that the doctor had been able to discern? I think there might have been some, like, bruising, but they didn't notify at least none of the things I saw specifically noted them, which means like maybe they could have considered it to be something from him kind of be stumbling around. Like maybe they couldn't tell where the bruises came from exactly. Another theory that I didn't really look at because it, the tests were inconclusive was talking about carbon monoxide poisoning or heavy metal poisoning because at the time the lamps they used would give off like lots of gases and fumes. But when they tested like a strand of his hair, it didn't. It was inconclusive, so they couldn't necessarily prove it. You're talking about the 2006 test. And what they found was lead poisoning and mercury poisoning in the hair. I was about to talk about that when y'all were done. Yeah. So it wasn't just that, because when I when you gave me the topic originally, I was looking it up and then I dove into a fucking rabbit hole because it's a little bit deeper than what y'all are touching on, too. So after Poe's death, there's this dude called Rufus Wilmot Griswold. He became the literary executor of Poe's estate. So all of his writings were kind of under like his shit. And when Griswold wrote his own full biography, he kept depicting Poe as a depraved, drunk, drug-idled madman. And that started to spread around. And then there was this dude called, a last name called Snodgrass. And he was convinced that Poe had died from alcoholism and did a great deal to popularize this idea. So he was spreading that shit around like crazy. But then there were reports of people who actually knew him, even a doctor who had to deal with him on a constant basis because he didn't like him like that, can sit there and tell you, not once have I ever been with this man and he's ever been drunk. Not once has any of the times that I come to his house that he's had liquor in his house. Not once has any interaction with this man when I found him drunk. Like he was not that kind of person and he's never done drugs. Like he, like there was a bunch of people that testified to this shit that a lot of people just don't like know about. There was his, even his drinking companion when he did drink would admit that he would engage in a drink or two, but he never went beyond like any, anything than that because he was a lightweight. Yeah. So he only had a little bit of liquor and never got super fucked up. While everyone else got fucked up, he was the most level-headed of all the people when he was drinking, even when he did. And there were a lot of times where they would drink and he wouldn't. He would sit there and chill with them and be with them for their, their atmosphere, but he wouldn't drink with them. He was even part of a membership called the Sons of Temperance, where he wouldn't drink or do drugs anymore. So, like, there is a big thing where he hadn't been actually drinking or doing any of that shit at the end. So I think that the, uh, the cooping is still on the table. I think that could have been a thing for real. 
because if they got him from hanging out with some of his homies or something and he wasn't drinking that day and they snatched him up and started doing it if they poisoned him with with mercury poison because i looked that shit up too mercury poisoning it gives you muscle weakness poor coordination numbness in the hands and feet see um i did see some bits of that but not making it sound almost like conspiracy to make him look like a drunkard but snodgrass in the things that I saw, he was also supposedly an advocate against alcohol. So I don't know if he was trying to use like Poe as his poster boy to be like, don't do drugs. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Exactly what it was. So he used it, made him seem like the worst type of person and used that don't be like this motherfucker here. He is a terrible person. And he would use him as like his, you know, he was a Satan to try to get people to be what to, to convert type shit, you know? Because the person who diagnosed rabies as a cause of death for Poe, they weren't told that your patient was Poe. Like, this was something that was done however many years later. And they're like, oh, so you have this guy, here are his symptoms, he died. What would you say these symptoms are most consistent of? And like, what would you diagnose it as? And after hearing all the details without knowing who it was, he said, oh, yeah, that sounds like rabies. And after being told afterwards, it was like, okay, this is probably the most unbiased opinion of what could have happened. So just that part is really intriguing to me. From your reporting about him being, you know, just incommunicative and stuff when he got found, when he got picked up and brought to the hospital, the, the tattered clothes, the way he looked, having all that mercury poisoning just doesn't go away. So once you're poisoned, you're poisoned, that's it. You're dead from that shit, just like rabies. Yeah, I think the rabies things I don't think would have a proper leg to stand on be just because your your fear of water doesn't mean you can hold the cup up. And he was delirious. He could like he was, you know, just immobile and shit like that. I watched uh, somebody affected by rabies. They still they were able to get down from a seat, get up from a seat, get on the table when just when they tried to force themselves to drink water, the hand started to shake. And as soon as the water hit their mouth, they had to dribble it out immediately. They tried to drink it, but they just couldn't do it. They dribbled out. They had to dribble it out of their mouth immediately. Like they may, got maybe one forced gulp. And so it's, I feel like it's a different, the way that they found him wouldn't be the same thing as the rabies. And in that time, people were dying of bronchitis. The reports of him having difficulty drinking water aren't like super solid. They just said he had some reports of having difficulty drinking water, but doesn't really elaborate. If he was weak, of course, that might be hard for him to do without assistance. Right. But if his throat was closing up, he wouldn't be able to sacrifice the air for the water. So that could have been a thing, too. He wouldn't be able to drink water if your throat was closing up. The other thing you mentioned about the mercury poisoning, I did see when looking it up the 28th is when he arrived in baltimore before seemingly disappearing and not never making it to his proper destination when he was going to new york the 27th the day before i believe he went to a doctor claiming he had a fever had feverish symptoms and it's believed that he was given like mercury as a treatment so maybe the mercury poisoning could have come from that because I did see that as a potential thing, but like overdosing from being prescribed it by a doctor. And they definitely were at the time early on experimenting with new types of ways to treat people. So yeah, like laudanum. And all that, you know? Yeah, laudanum was over the counter, bruh. Yeah. Ooh, those times, yo. Yeah. Just insufficient medical care. I would think that we could all agree on the fact that Poe certainly did not die alone and without assistance. Yeah, for sure. He did not die by himself. He didn't trip and then, right. you know, maybe as an underlying thing, but maybe not necessarily the cause of death. The fact that the people who are moving his grave did hear something, a mass rolling around in his skull. 
that does sound like it could literally be a tumor unless it was like a stone, but I don't think they ever like analyzed it or... If nobody went and cut in to get it, we don't know what it is. I mean, I just sat there and watched a movie where rats were pulling in fucking bodies from the grave and shit like that. You know, shit's good rolling around in there. A worm calls in and it pulls a rock with it to get in to get into the brain meat. You never know what happens. Yeah, because I think autopsies were fairly rare at that time yeah so there was really no way to determine what he did have in his head rattling around if there were they tested his like hair to see if he had heavy metal poisoning but i don't know i know testing hair is different from getting permission to cut open a skull and that's a literary master that we're talking about and this is a newer age it's not like it was done back then where they would have been like yeah let's cut his head and maybe keep his brain no they have to like get permissions and stuff like that and there's got to be a a legacy of something there they just can't like go in and say hey is it all right if we cut a girl's head open to check if he has a tumor they put him in an unmarked grave and he stayed there for like some 20 years so it was rough and really at any point during those 20 years people could have done anything people were grave robbing and shit at the time anyway yeah, i was gonna say i don't think their uh care of dead bodies was where we're at now certainly not <laughs> for a while yeah to go back to what you're saying about going into the head of a literary master and taking you know the brain or whatever it's possible that something like that could have been done because of the fact that we're talking about with jfk a president of the United States whose brain was being analyzed as part of the Warren Commission's investigation into the assassination. His brain was stored in a lab for testing in a metal tin and was lost. That's a brain that has never been found to this day. How do you lose JFK's brain, Brett? I was going to say they did lose his brain, right? Or was it, And then I was thinking, did that happen to Einstein too? Or just his brain get bought or something? I don't remember. His brain was donated all right now let's get ready for am i the asshole all right so options are wife girl 15 year old pomeranian let's go with girl all right am i the asshole for telling a girl that she has to move out if she was keeping her baby me 45 male and my daughter 20 female lives at home last year her friend emma 21 moved in with us because her parents moved to another state she was having issues at home and her and my daughter wanted to roll in the same school together she pays us 200 dollars a month in rent but it really just covers extra food and whatnot in the house she decided she didn't want to go to school anymore so she doesn't have a very good job her boyfriend clint 27 has no job and lives with his parents clint's your typical lazy lives at home lives in mom's basement can't keep a job everyone else's fault problem type shit a couple of weeks ago emma comes home and excitedly announced she's pregnant. Since then, there are all kinds of things she now cannot do around the house because she's pregnant. She can't take the trash out. Smells make her nauseous. Can't clean the cat box. Can't clean up after herself because she's pregnant and she's too tired. The list goes on. There have already been going ongoing discussions happening with both Emma and my daughter about them not helping out enough around the house. It's caused a lot of tension. I sit down with them again about this and Emma says she can't do so much because she's pregnant, but she has a solution. Clint can move in to help. I said, absolutely not. And she got pissy and said, well, I'm going to need help, especially after baby's born. And I said, absolutely not again. And then she starts going on about how it's it's not nice and very abusive. I got fed up with the whole thing and said, if you plan on keeping that baby, you need to worry more about where you're going to live than your unemployed boyfriend because you need to move out of my house. Her and my daughter got very upset and accused me of trying to force her into termination. I explained that I don't care what she does, but I don't want to deal with her pregnancy and I really don't want to deal with a newborn in my house. And was crying and said she has nowhere to go. I told her she could live with her parents and her boyfriend's parents, but she had 60 days to move out of my house. So am I the asshole? That's a tough situation. Granted, I definitely think that chicks being annoying 
and not having any respect for the fact that you are a guest in someone else's house. Right. She she got super comfortable quick. Yeah. Like, granted, having a baby is, you know, a personal thing, but you should have consideration for the fact that you are in someone else's house. So even though it's a personal thing for you, it is going to affect household you're staying in. Right. And if she does have legitimate, like, home issues with her parents and everything, rather than, you know, some whiny shit, if it's legitimate issues, that could be a tough position. But, like, you also need to have awareness. I do feel like there is a lack of responsibility when someone decides to get pregnant, knowing full well that they're in a situation that's ultimately untenable. Yeah. Right. And that if it's an accident, shit happens. Like, having help is nice but again you can't make it their problem because they didn't make that choice but you need to understand like it is now your responsibility to figure that shit out and it can't be dumped on everybody else around you exactly i was just thinking that like how are you okay with putting your problems with someone else that's not how the fucking world works you need to handle your business this is your kid not their kid it's not even their grandkid they're not even related to you in any way shape or form they were nice enough to let you stay in this house because you wanted to stay in the same state as your best friend and then he let that happen and now you're being hella fucking ungrateful right now just automatically assuming he's taking care of you your child your broke ass fucking boyfriend get the fuck out of here do you know how expensive kids are and you think for one second that the attitude your boyfriend has at his own house he's gonna do it for a fucking he's gonna change it up mount up for a stranger he's disrespectful and not fucking handling business in his own house and with his own parents the people who birthed him he's not showing them respect by sitting there helping them out in any fucking way or maintaining a job or showing any type of fucking actual gumption so what the fuck i know you bugging i know you bugging <laughs> the moment she dropped out of school i would have sent her ass to her parents the whole reason you were here because you wanted to go to same school as my daughter and now you're not going anymore what the fuck's the point his daughter should definitely be more understanding because like yeah it's your friend but you need to understand like if his daughter is helping to pay rent she knows like what the costs in the home are and regardless of how much you like your friend her having a baby and especially if she has a man's come in who doesn't have a job that's going to be a strain on you because they're not paying their end when you initially started telling us the story, my thought went from, yeah, he was the asshole to then slowly turning over to no, no, actually he isn't. Right. He's not the asshole, but he's partially to blame for not setting proper boundaries for both of those kids. My thing is too, she makes it sound like moving in with her boyfriend doesn't sound like a workable scenario. But if your future like child's grandparents aren't with it, you know there's something wrong with your scenario because that would be their grandchild. And I'm sure they know exactly how their son is. And if they don't want to bring in like another version of him. Yeah. And a baby. And they're again, they would be this child's grandparents. They don't want anything to do with it. Your situation's wrong. Let a, not even talking about the friend's dad who isn't related. That's the worst part. That's the worst part of it for me, dog. You just have this motherfucker coming to my house. No. Yeah. That's obnoxious. Don't do that. Right. Your all signs point to negatory. <laughs> Can I say also that um, I feel like her parents dodged a fucking bullet when he said, yeah, no, I'll take her so she can stay here. She's like, you really don't know what you get yourself into. As soon as they moved to state, they were fucking party. Because it seemed like she had issues with her parents before. 
And it was one of those, oh, they don't understand me type things. Or maybe, maybe it was because she's a fucking problem child and didn't listen to what her parents were fucking telling her. And now you sat there and just took on their fucking bag of bullshit. Yeah, because I was going to say, like, her behavior denotes that maybe her problems at home were mostly her. Maybe her parents are absolutely obnoxious too. Maybe they just bred more of them. But just her behavior makes it sound like she's a problem. On this corner of the universe, a whole lot of reports coming out of Warner Brothers Discovery and DC Studios about the things that are going on. James Gunn has been answering questions that some fans have had recently. And he had mentioned that the report that was out in The Hollywood Reporter about what's going on, not going on, confirmed, not confirmed, rumored, dismissed. He was asked if the Green Lantern is going to be an important character moving forward. He confirmed that Green Lantern is important to DC's future. Mm. Superman also is the biggest priority. I bet. So he debunks any feud with Henry Cavill, which was floating around that he may have butted heads with him. But he's denied that. I remember seeing that. And then there's more details that have come out following the reported cancellation of the Michael Keaton Batman Beyond movie that was in development. It hurt my feelings. One of those was that a story pitch had saw the reunion of Michael Keaton and Michelle Pfeiffer's characters, their relationship being resuscitated. Executives were excited and they even greenlit that writing to continue until James Gunn and Peter Safran had assumed their roles when she was told to stop. How the fuck did they just slip that to us? Like, oh yeah, by the way, this was supposed to be Batman Beyond. Fuck you. I've been waiting for a fucking Batman Beyond movie. You do it with my favorite fucking Batman. Give me my Keaton Batman Beyond. Give me. Give me. And you need to have a proper Asian as the, the, the kid like I had mentioned before. Give me my Batman Beyond. I want it. This is not fair. I feel like, especially since people seem to be really into the like heavy black and red aesthetic of Robert Pattinson's The Batman, I feel like bringing out the color scheme and the art style of Batman Beyond could be really interesting to see if they did it well. Yes. You could see Neo Gotham in like great spectacle in the way that you saw the backgrounds of Alita Battle Angel. I absolutely 100 fucking percent agree. And it would look breathtaking on film. If that's only if it was one of those projects that were canceled. I think it's weird that it would be James Gunn to turn it down because I feel like he should love that idea. I think that would be the best fucking movie ever. I feel like they dropped a huge fucking ball with this. A huge fucking ball. They really need to pick this shit back up. Now, we don't know whether or not this was going to be still a thing or not. The report I saw today was that after Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom gets released next year, that Jason Momoa will step down from being Aquaman to become Lobo instead. Wait, 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 wait. I no longer get to see him as moist as he was before. No. That's sad. There will be no more Aquaman or or use of Aquaman in any of the future films or projects going forward. Ooh, maybe they didn't get rid of the character completely. Remember, there's lots of characters they can die from that they don't necessarily need to use that character if they don't want. We'll see eventually. Never mind the supposed filmed Henry Cavill cameo in The Flash that may or may not be used, let alone all the pitches for a potential Man of Steel sequel. Following the crashing that the kid at the Game Awards did the other night when he went up to the stage with the developers of Elden Ring who were accepting their Game of the Year award, he mentioned his rabbi, Bill Clinton. (laughs) 
modders have put Bill Clinton into Elden Ring. Yeah, of course. So there was a whole preview and everything. Obviously, it's not available for everybody to enjoy, but you can find the video out there. And at least it creates something humorous of an obnoxious kid ruining their moment. Yeah. At least he waited till the end, at least. Yeah. I guess that's the best thing. So that way they get to say everything they said. Kind of off topic from the modders. The, you know how like the royalty or whatever came to Boston, whoever the fuck they were. The woman wore a green dress. The internet had so much fun with her dress. It was so bad. Y'all should definitely take a peek and look it up. It was just really nice one where it was pizza. It, it looked good. It looked delicious. <laughs> My mind automatically went to Allison and House of the Dragon declaring war. Oh, yeah, no, that's a good dress. This was terrible. This was lime green, like like the exact background green color they use for green screen. Mm -hmm. That was the color of the dress. So people went wild. It was great. People loved it. There was so much done. I just love modders. Scarlett Johansson is rumored to be the female lead of a remake of The Birds at Universal. But I feel like she's in so much already. She's in so much already. <sighs> At least not whitewashing it with her. They're just using her as is. I mean, the only thing I'll give to that is that I feel like she could pull off the look of that, you know. Tippy Hedren, that actress at that time. Yeah, yeah, you can pull off that look. But she got like four fucking facial movements total. Scarlett Johansson only got like four facial expressions. It's the serious the almost kind of smile and the medium, maybe a chuckle. And the pouty lips. Right, and the pouty lips. And then the looking up the innocently from below look. <laughs> like, bitch, come on. We, we need more facial movement. Can you move both eyebrows? That one eyebrow that moves. Or is it just the corner of one? We need eyebrow movement. They need to put a newer actress. There's so many actresses out there. It doesn't have to be the same bitch all the time. <laughs> I can't. She's in too much. Recently, David Harbour revealed that he and Jodie Comer, the star of, or one of the co-stars of Killing Eve, were working on, or had worked on, an upcoming horror game that's due out sometime next year, is what he guesses. As of a recent report, that possible game could be Silent Hill Townfall, and that's being made by Annapurna Interactive, which got a penchant for putting celebrities in the games that they make. I was so excited when that Silent Hill info came out. It was so good. Now, hasn't been corroborated, but it's one of the guesses that it could be that project, seeing it is supposedly due out sometime in 2023. I was worried about that last one that they're talking about being a mobile phone game. Because of waiting so damn long, it should be multiple projects. Right. I know you were a huge, huge fan. I feel like the mobile phone game and the one that's the live service ones are the ones I have no interest in. I'm aiming for Townfall because I believe it to be a standalone entry. Silent Hill 2 remake, and especially Silent Hill F. It's beautiful looking. It's happy. It's great. They are doing the upgrade for one of them, right? Silent Hill 2. Yes, 2. Yes, it's going to look awesome. It's going to be badass. I saw, I saw that long-ass conference that they did. It was great. What I kind of speculated, granted, there's not much to go on anyway, but just because Kojima does like seeming does seemingly like to work with actual actors in his games and whatever that other game he was doing, unless it's supposed to be related to Death Stranding 2. As far as I know, the actress that's in that footage, I think you're referencing Overdose, she's not part of the cast for Death Stranding 2, so I believe it's a totally different project that's being worked on at the same time. That's as the Who Am I posters or no, whatever? No, that one is definitely Death Stranding 2. But oh, Who Am I? Yeah. That was like confirmed? Mm -hmm. Those those three posters were showing you stars that are joining Redis and Leia Seydoux from the first game. The other one was the footage that I believe you guys have seen where this woman was running around in some hospital and something was apparently chasing after her. 
that game there has uh, Margaret Qualley, who is also another known actress. But that's another project that has been seen to be a game he's working on, especially seeing as there was, uh, I think, tweets last year, or maybe even earlier this year, where he had said that he was doing things that were horror inspired and that it was confirmed that his next project would be a horror game. So this has to be separate from Death Stranding, surely, because yes. Death Stranding isn't outright in a horror game. Yeah. It's more like a sci-fi thing. It's a thing. <laughs> I just want to throw out real quick appreciation for the gaming era that we're in, because it is such a wonderful time for horror games. Because the further back you go, the more ridiculous it gets to seem for like censorship and shit. I mean, like you go far enough back, Doom was the worst you could get. But you go a little bit further back. Remember, they had to do a, um, a censored version of the Mortal Kombat where you couldn't have blood in it. That was Nintendo's. Yeah. Yes. So, like, bruh, we're in an age where it's just wonderful horror movies at our fingertips and be able to extend the horror and the gore and, and both psychological and, and what is this? Those, um, the games where you have to, to pick and choose which way you go and then there's a little mini, like, jumping uh, button game. The Dark Pictures Anthology line. Yeah, 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 those. The ones that one of them had the, um, the Wendigo in it. One of them was a Wendigo type shit. Until Dawn. Yes, yes. This wouldn't have been a type of horror we had thought of for back in the day. And you get to explore different types of horror and it allows to let your horror freak flag fly. Because now you are not. You can't just be into Doom was the best horror game out there. Now there's other different levels of horror that you can enjoy. This Like Amnesia could be the best VR fucking horror game that they had out there for however long until something else takes the spot. And just it is all levels to it. And this is just a wonderful era for video games and horror games. And I love it. I will put out a personal favorite slash recommendation in terms of an interesting horror game that definitely puts you in kind of vulnerable state. The Yomawari series, because I always tend to lean into the Japanese horror. They had a recent one come out on Switch. It puts you in the shoes of a little girl who can't really run and you know you're dealing with all kinds of fucked up Japanese ghosts and creatures. So it's a really neat one. Is that the one where like the little girl has a candle and like she has to hold it or hide the candle when monsters about and she has to like stop moving or like hold her breath as she moves? It's like a side scroll you see her walking from uh, like on the side of her and it's like school classrooms. Oh, are you talking about the side scrolling or the top down? It's not top down. You see her from the side. Yomori is kind of a chibi dark art style and it's top down and you're like a little girl wandering the empty streets of Japan at night and you spell it out for me. I have the wonderful world to Google at my fingertips. Y-O-M-A-W-A-R-I. Okay. Oh, I see it. Oh, damn. Some of the monster imagery is really well done. Oh, this is dope looking. Yo, this is really good. Yo. Oh, is it good? Yes. Like it has good tension moments. So she's like, oh shit, no, I should move. It requires, like like I said, you're a little girl, so you can't really run. Yo, dude, there's this thing that's just a hairy face, but like tentacles and legs. Yeah, they have some really interesting enemies. Really interesting. I would recommend it. This, yo, these are really, this is this is some Romero shit. Not Romero, what is it? Uh, the, the guy who did the thing. John Carpenter? Yeah, this is some Carpenter type, like fucking body dysmorphia type shit. 
It's a big ass mouth with teeth and an eyeball in the mouth looking around like this is some funky shit. Yeah, I mean, I haven't even played it. If you're willing, I would definitely like play it. Looking at the bits of it, it I definitely suggest as well. Like they got three of these games. It came out with a new one on Switch because I played one and two on Vita and they were great. And I would recommend you play with headphones because the sound in it can definitely stress you out when you're playing. The imagery in this shit, it looks dope. And there's things that they'll do just to fuck with you like some things just happen just to unnerve you and there's like there's definitely neat little subversive tricks that they pull on you at times too so a dog i love i love the the variety that we have out the way we could sit there and just go out and explore i didn't even know that shit was out that looked dope <laughs> there was something i saw that said a nomination or award or whatever was won by dr strange and the multiverse of madness over the batman i disagree with that i think the batman was a far better film than dr strange 2 was yeah like I wanted to like it. I really did. But when watching, something felt off. And I don't know if it was like they were trying too hard, but something felt off. And especially some of the scenes felt like they went on for way too long. Like, I was just going to say, like, him going through the different universes, I guess, to show off, like, the variety. I get why they would want to play that scene for a little long, but I felt like it went too long. And then same thing with that scene where... They were showing the other Wanda, the one who was the mother, experiencing weird trippy shit before our Wanda took her over. I feel like that scene also felt like it dragged on for like five seconds too long. I feel like they're loopholes with America Chavez story and shit. And by like the end. Yeah. When it was like, yeah, okay, just take my power and kill me. And then she just like punched the Scarlet Witch into the exact one that she fucking wanted. Afterwards, staying in Carmitage seemed just dumb because she now supposedly had control over it. So why not go find your fucking parents? That's your fucking goal. That's what you've been fucking universe hopping for however fucking long for this reason. Go home, bitch. Just didn't feel like they went together very well in that grief being a fucking issue again and having the whole learn over and over again that her kids are better off you know wherever they are or like she's better off in the universe that she's in or whatever the fucking you know at the end lesson for her was to learn i still think her grief being a fucking plot point was annoying and dumb and just they could i could think they could have done everything better and a different fucking plot line for this for the multiverse as opposed to having Wanda's grief be the issue. It could have been anybody else. There is a pantheon of fucking bad guys. You could have even had it be Kang coming after her for her fucking power. But having it be Wanda annoyed the fuck out of me. I don't mind having the Red Witch. I like her as a character, as an actress, as the role. Not bad. But her grief as a fucking plot for you for two fucking movies is annoying to me. It was the writing. Yeah, it was definitely writing, but it, I did surprisingly enjoy the Batman more than I thought I would. Like, it looked decent, but would it actually be as good as it first appeared, you know, was my hesitation. But I did enjoy it. My antipathy was toward the actor himself. It isn't like, I just haven't seen him in anything that I'm happy for. You know, I haven't seen him play anything that I thought was good. So, like, not... It's just, I don't know if it's the writing for him as a person or maybe just, I just don't find him as a good actor. And I just, any role that he's in, I'm just not convinced of. But I kind of, I liked the tone. I liked the writing. And that's what got it for me. Not necessarily Pattinson. With him, it was more of a, I don't find him as a good actor. I could have had anybody else as the Batman. I think I still would have enjoyed it just the same. Or maybe even better. I enjoyed Colin Farrell's portrayal of the Penguin. Yes, me too. Me too. 
though, though Danny DeVito will always have a special place in my heart. I enjoyed his penguin too. But again, this all belongs to my Michael Keaton. Give me my Batman Beyond. I enjoyed uh, the portrayal of the Riddler in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Because they did lean into the detective noir story. And I felt like taking the Riddler and depicting him on film seriously after the one interpretation by Jim Carrey back in 1995, it was refreshing because the Riddler is a good villain. He's got a good look. Definitely leaning into the Zodiac, but it worked for the story being told. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And again, yeah, I I, I dug the writing. I, I liked it as it was. Um, again, it's just the actor for me. Lastly, an MCU rumor has seemingly revealed the first plot details from Avengers Kang Dynasty in a recent report in which Jonathan Majors Kang and his many variants will play into the multiversal blockbuster film. The source was quick to emphasize that right now, while the info is accurate, things could, of course, change as the script is still being worked on and final plot details won't be nailed down yet. But it is believed that we're going to learn about Nathaniel Richards's backstory and learn about his conquering worlds across the entire multiverse. It will also include seeing the first wave of, a t- of Avengers attempt to take him down. They will also be joined by He Who Remains, who was introduced in Loki. However, he will just be known as Nathaniel, or mentioned Nathaniel this time around, as he's not the only one remaining yet, quote unquote. For him, this is the first time he's experiencing multiversal shenanigans, indicating that this predates even his founding of the TVA. The amount of time hopping that will go into the storyline is going to be a tough task for Marvel Studios to explain to the general audience, seeing as it will be especially difficult to bring together dozens of elements of hours of both previous films and the Disney Plus series that not every moviegoer will have fully seen by the time that this movie comes out. There's consistencies you have to keep up with, too. And they thought trying to explain X-Men into the fucking Marvel Universe is going to be extra. Here you are, time hopping before a time hop is supposed to be starting. Like, you're back to the future and everybody before everybody knows what the fuck is going on. The plan is to explore Kang's origin as Nathaniel Richards and his conquering of the multiverse. And seeing multiple variants of the same characters will obviously make for a unique experience, especially with variants playing on both sides of this conflict. They're doing too much. He who remains mentioned in Loki, he had described a time when Kang's variants fell into a multiversal war, all before he came along and brought that to an end. Now, years before his death at the end at the hands of Sylvie at the end of Loki season one, it seems he may attempt to achieve that all over again, this time with the Avengers in tow. He did mention to her that killing him will see an infinite amount of him start another multiversal war only for him to end up right back there at the end of time, thanks to some form of reincarnation. We'll have to wait and see what happens when that movie comes out in 2025, barring any potential delays. I'm enthused to see what's going to be happening. I love the the Marvel Universe and the twists and turns and the lefts and rights that they're doing with it. I love seeing my comic book characters on my TV screens. I just really want them to do these things justice and not just start funneling them out because they're fucking uh, money makers. Right. I want substance in my script, bruh. I don't want everything to end up to be power friendship. <laughs> I got enough of that in my animes. I liked when like Infinity War when they fucking lost. I like that shit. Assume that that's what's going to happen again. That having the two Avengers films both coming out in 2025 sounds indicative of what Infinity War and Endgame where they came out I think six months apart. It tells me that for a movie being subtitled The Kang Dynasty tells me the Avengers may lose to start and then they'll come together for the secret wars. 
I like that shit. I hope they let them sit in it too, though, like they did with the five years. They have to make it better than losing half of the universe, and I wonder how they're going to do that. Well, Kang's a pretty good character, a really big bad in the comics, so all it has to do with is the actor portraying that dimension of Kang while also seeming like, yeah, he, this is a dude you don't want to fuck with, especially not alone. I would want the bad Kang, the baddest of the bad Kangs, to reach across the multiverse and start pulling out fucking comic book accurate bad guys. I want them to start pulling like real hardcore fucking bad guys. I, I want it to be a spectacular giant conglomerate of just bad guys to come. I want it willingly. That wraps it up for this week's episode. Tune in next time as we discuss more topics. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other podcast platforms. If you like the show... Please follow us on your preferred platform. You can leave us questions and comments or shoot us an email at fandomsculturemurder at gmail.com. Until next time. Goodbye. We appreciate y'all listening. Stay safe and all that jazz.